Thank you very much, John. Let's pray, shall we, as we look at that story and this theme of happiness together tonight. Lord Jesus, you invite us to come to you and to find life in you. And so we pray tonight that you will help us and draw us to listen to your words and to understand and receive them and trusting you to find your eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, how different our modern world is from that of our ancestors. Just struck me, just looking at papers this week and the university rankings are appearing at the moment. Um, University nowadays, you can pick, can't you, university um, from hundreds around the country um, and literally hundreds, thousands of different university courses. So today, um, you can choose a university on the basis of where it has the, the best teaching or the best student experience or the most employability at the end. Uh, the choices are endless. So we, we not only know more about the world nowadays, we, we have many more and better ways of learning as well than there were, say, 500 or 1,000 years ago. Or take technology, um, where those who first drew pictures uh, drew them using dyes from plants on the walls of their caves. Nowadays, you can kind of snap a video on your phone and send it around the world within seconds. Or medicine. Uh, We can treat diseases today that would have almost certainly killed you just 100 years ago. And yet the question is, would you say we are happier today than our ancestors were? Are we happier for all of this technology and medicine and opportunity? Well, if you read the journals of people from hundreds of years ago, you will find in them less uh, self-pity or boredom or despair than you or I would probably find from just a few minutes of looking at social media. So I think it's true to say that we are, despite all the knowledge we've got, the technology, all the wonderful things in our world, we are less happy than our ancestors were. Isn't that fascinating? Now, this topic tonight is the, the fourth of a series. We looked at things like freedom, suffering... And tonight, this theme of what we're calling satisfaction or happiness. Satisfaction and circumstances. So the question is, does faith make a difference? Does faith make us happier? Or, in fact, as some would say, does it make us less happy if we're Christians? Well, there was a Christian called Augustine who wrote centuries ago a whole book about his experience. And um, he'd spent his youth and his kind of student years, searching for happiness. And he'd done it through, through drink, through relationships with women, even through sort of petty crime. But at the end of it, he only found happiness when he found Christ. And that's what the whole book, Confessions, is all about. And in his book, Confessions, he suggests there are three kinds of people how we relate to happiness, three different kinds of people and how we think about happiness. Uh, We've put them on the screen, I think, as well. He said there are, first of all, people who are searching for happiness, seeking happiness, but haven't found it yet. Then he said there are people who maybe started out that way, but then because of life circumstances, because of the experience of the real world, things went wrong, things disappointed them, they've given up even searching for happiness. 
And there may be people in one of those first two groups here this evening, searching for it or maybe given up on it. And then he said there are th- the third group, people who've actually found happiness, as he did in faith, in finding Christ living in him. And he suggested that we find true happiness not by the circumstances around us, the things out there in the world that we give our our love, our desire to, but when we find God through faith on the inside. We find happiness not from loving worldly things, good as they often are, but by loving the Creator. So, he was really basing what he said on Jesus' teaching about happiness. Um, So look at Jesus' teaching, as we're going to unpack a little bit in John 6 tonight. Here's the first of our three points. Happiness is a God-given desire. It may surprise you, this one. You think, well, surely happiness is is just a worldly, almost an unchristian pursuit. Well, actually, it's in the Bible. The Bible says happiness is a legitimate God-given desire. It's a natural thing that God has given us to seek happiness. Uh, And also, it's possible we can find it, too. So the very first psalm, Psalm 1, talks about someone uh, and describes what it's like for him or her to be happy. You know, blessed it starts, and that's just another word for happy. Blessed is the one who, and then it describes that person. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, gave his, we call them the Beatitudes. The word simply means, again, happy people. It says, blessed or happy are the peacemakers or the merciful or the pure in heart. So happiness is a Christian thing. It's something God means us to experience. The Bible's got it all there. And many of us do start out with that optimism that happiness is is out there, and and we need in life to, to seek it, to find it, by either what we achieve or by what we have, by what we gain. Those things, those achievements, will make us happy. And we, we think, and often this kind of stage of life, when we're starting out as young people or as students, we think, well, if, if we people who are not happy, it's just because they sort of messed up somewhere. But for the rest of us, happiness is almost like a right, as long as you go after it. Well, the Bible says we, we can't find happiness by what we achieve or what we have. It's what we are that brings happiness, not what we have. Um, But happiness, nonetheless, is there if we locate it in the right place. And C.S. Lewis calls this um, this sense that happiness is is there, but it eludes us as a desire for something of which we have no experience. He says, it's like the scent of a flower that we've never seen. The scent of a flower that we've never seen. So we kind of know that, that God's there, that happiness in him is there somewhere, Um, But we almost don't know where to look for it because we've not seen it yet. He put it like this in a famous radio address. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. He says, a baby feels hunger. Well, that's because there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. That's because there's such a thing as water. And if I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He's talking about happiness in encountering God, knowing God in eternity, in heaven. So there's a hunger inside us, and it's a God-given 
desire to find happiness, but in the right place. So long before Jesus, um, God gave this invitation in language Jesus seems to quote in our reading. We'll come to that in a second, in case you're wondering, from John 6. In Isaiah, God says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. And then he says, why spend money on what is not bread or work for what does not satisfy? God is saying, come to me if you want satisfaction, to be filled, no longer to be thirsty, just as Jesus is saying in John chapter 6. So there's happiness. It's a, it's a natural God-given desire. Secondly, happiness is, however, elusive. We saw Augustine says that some people start out searching, but then they give up because of life's circumstances. If you build my happiness on what life gives to me, in the end, I am going to be disappointed by that. Circumstances cannot be a reason for happiness. And often harsh circumstances have, for many of us, spoilt um, our happiness. A loved one that we lose, a job that didn't work out as we'd hoped, a relationship that went sour, whatever it might be. And Jesus said a little earlier than our reading in chapter 6, verse 27, he says, he warns, don't work for food that spoils. If you invest yourself in the circumstances of life and what you can gain, thinking it will fill and satisfy you, he says, it will disappoint you. It will turn sour. It will decay. It will run out. Finding satisfaction through the things of this world, will always disappoint us. More stuff does not make us more happy. If anything, the opposite. A study was done a few years ago that found that the average person uh, laughed for 18 minutes a day in the 1950s. Isn't that great? 18 minutes of laughter in the 1950s. But by the 1990s, uh, in fact, I think it was the early 2000s, 15 or so years ago, this study, people only laughed for six minutes a day. So it shrunk from 18 to just six minutes a day of laughter. And thinking about that report, a psychologist said, we are now up to 10 times more likely to be depressed today than we were in the 1950s. It's quite sobering, that, isn't it? 10 times more likely. Advanced consumer wealth and technology exploits our instinct to compare ourselves to others vastly more than we used to. We become deeply dissatisfied with ourselves compared to others, despite our riches. Really interesting, isn't it? Important words, aren't they? If I build happiness on the world around me, what I achieve and what, what I have, I will be deeply disappointed. But happiness is a God-given desire, but it's elusive. So here's the third and the, really the main point. Look at Jesus' teaching tonight. Happiness comes from knowing Jesus. Here's the good news. Uh, it's a God-given desire. It eludes us if we build our what's out there. But knowing Jesus brings happiness. So in John 6, verse 35, uh, again, just for our reading, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And he says, whoever uh, comes to be also never be thirsty. We saw that language, didn't we? Back in the Old Testament. Come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're hungry. 
The bread of this life can never satisfy. I am the bread of life. Jesus repeats those words in our reading. Do you see that in verse 48? I am the bread of life. Or the bread, it says, that's come down from heaven. So what's he mean by this, I'm the bread of life? He can't mean, can he, literally, I am your kind of McDonald's happy meal for today. It's not a sandwich we can eat. It's it's not physical. He's using, isn't he, a picture, um, a metaphor for faith. So in verse 44, he, he says, eating me... Eating me the bread of life is like it's coming to me. When you come to me, you're feeding on me. That's verse 44. And then in verse 47, he says the same thing another way. He says, feeding on me, eating the bread of life, is, is believing in me. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. Is connected to God through me, the Son of God, and, and eternal life in him. So faith, eating Jesus, is simply coming to him and believing in him. And trusting Jesus, he's saying, brings happiness. That brings eternal life. Not the the superficial happiness of a a kind of a a moment of pizza or a pint, but the deep satisfaction of being connected to the life of God through the Son of God. True happiness. Isn't it ironic? If If you chase happiness, we've seen, it will elude you. It will. But... If you find Jesus, you get happiness thrown in, don't you? Come to me, he says, and you'll have life. So again, Augustine put it like this. He said, there's a joy not given to those who do not love you. Obviously, a prayer talking to God here. There's a joy not given to those who do not love you, but only given to those who love you for your own sake. There's a joy given to those that love Jesus. A joy that no one else finds. He says, happiness is to rejoice in you and for you and because of you. That's happiness. And you see, it depends, doesn't it? Not on my circumstances now, on whether my work's going well, my studies are going well, my relationships are happy, my health is good. It depends on what's in here. On the joy of knowing Jesus. And here's how. Jesus makes that difference. Um, He explains it more, really in two related ways in what he says in our reading tonight. The first thing is that Jesus says, you will experience happiness because I remain in you. And he says, I remain in you and you remain in me. In verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of of the world. Now, here, as you may realize, if you know the Bible um, at all, is that it's an Old Testament picture here. He's looking back to the Old Testament when Moses led the people through the desert from slavery towards the promised land, and God fed the hungry people in the desert with something called manna. It's just a kind of weird, almost like crispy cornflakes. And God sent it to them every day, and it lasted one day, and then it went. Each day they ate it, but as Jesus says, they still died in the desert, despite eating this stuff. But he says, the act of trusting in me, following me, eating me, the living bread, means that you'll live forever. This bread doesn't live out, doesn't run out, and those who eat it live forever. This bread is my flesh, he says. Now, again, he's not talking like cannibalism here. 
physically eating Jesus' flesh. Um, it's strong language, isn't it? This bread is my flesh. But if you think about this, to eat anything, pretty much anything, it has to die. Something has to die for me to eat. So to eat um, sausage and chips, pigs and potatoes have to die. And it's the same here with, with bread, isn't it? To eat bread, things like wheat and yeast have to die. And that's what Jesus is saying. To eat me the bread of life, I have to die. I give my life. He's looking ahead, isn't he, to the cross here, especially where he dies for us. I die upon the cross, and as you trust in me, you receive in return eternal life. The experience of my living presence with you today and through death into eternity. For me to live... Jesus has to die. And he's saying, isn't it? I may be starving inside, and every day as I am starving spiritually, I need to feed on Jesus. Like a starving man needs that bread in the desert. So you and I need Jesus. We need him to remain in us, to give him that life, because if like any of us, Every day I need to know, through Jesus, my sins are forgiven, my anxieties are eased, um, guidance is given to me, help is given battling with temptation. All the challenges we face, we face now trusting in him with his strength in us because he remains in me. That's what he says in verse 56. That's the promise of 56. Jesus, he says, if you listen to me, if you respond to my teaching... I remain in in you and you remain in me. He's promising this new life, this quality of his experience of knowing him in me will last forever. Nothing will take it away. Nothing will make him leave me. I remain in you and you remain in me through all the challenges of this life and even through the biggest challenge, death itself. My happiness does not depend on my circumstances, the things life gives me because it all depends upon Jesus remaining in me, and he promises that he will. There was a, a missionary called Adoniram Judson, great name, Adoniram Judson, uh, an American missionary who translated the Bible into Burmese for the first time around about 200 years ago. Uh, and there was a war whilst he was out there in Burma in 1824, and he was put in prison during that war. He was brutally tortured, Um, He was chained upside down by his ankles with just his head and shoulders resting on the ground for long periods of time. Completely cut off from his family, uh, his home, every comfort taken away. And even when he left prison eventually and they released him, soon after his wife died and one of his children died of a sickness. So everything that we look to in life was taken away from him. And yet he wrote this. It is all one whether a person in Christ is in a city or a desert, among family or savage foes, in the heat of the Indies or the ice of Greenland, his infinite friend is always at hand. He need not fear hunger or sickness or pain, for his best friend does all things well. Even death is only the withdrawing of the veil which conceals his dearest friend.
talking about Jesus, of course. Jesus remains in me and I in him. Whatever comes in life. But he also says, Jesus promises, he actually does it four times in this chapter, that he will raise us. He'll remain in us in this life and beyond, but he will also raise us at the last day. Do you see verse 44? And again in verse 54, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Some of us here may still be thinking, despite all we've been saying, you're not convinced, I still don't see I need Jesus to be truly happy. I can manage fine, I've got friends, I've got family, I've got Facebook, what more do I need? And so Jesus points out, there's one aspect of of universal human experience that we all face, and in the face of which we are all utterly powerless, and that's our mortality. We will die one day. And approaching that death for any of us without Jesus, who promises to raise us up, approaching death without Jesus, it's like uh, trying to board a plane to your holiday and you've got the luggage, the baggage, all the stuff you've accumulated to take with you, but you have not got your passport. Approaching death without Jesus is like trying to go through without your passport. No way. And all experiences, all the things we think will satisfy, are going to mean nothing on that day when we face God. But Jesus, he says, has won the victory in his death and by being raised himself to new life, so we can, with him, go through death to eternal life the other side. Only Jesus does that. True happiness is found only in him because he raises us. He will raise us as he already remains in us. So what's this mean about happiness for us tonight? I think it means two things. Um, The first thing is that we can be really realistic as followers of Jesus about life, about the real world. We can be realistic Now, Christians are not like those people who sort of live in denial about the bad things that happen in life. We pretend they don't happen, we ignore them, like rose-tinted spectacles. Uh, Christians, in a way, are are both more sad because we, we see the pain of the world, but also more happy because Jesus remains in us through it all. We know the world is messed up and painful, as well as good and beautiful. Uh, We're not, you know, like like with our old car, um, which, you know, every few weeks delivers a new rattle. Um, And I'll just kind of ignore it and say, oh, it's it's probably nothing, it'll go away again. Of course, they never did. Uh, We're not like that with life. We know that, that life has its rattles, its things that are broken. And those things are real, but they don't detract from our happiness. Because our happiness comes not from what's out there, but from who's in here. Not from what I have, but from who I am in Christ. So one and the same time, we are most realistic about life, but also the happiest people in life, because we have Jesus. The second thing this means is that we need to repent. And as Jesus invites us in his reading, to come to Christ, 
to find happiness. He says, whoever comes to me has eternal life. Has eternal life. Not just will have, has eternal life. Beginning today, but going on through death into eternity. Isn't that fantastic? Come to Jesus, any of us here tonight, and we get happiness, eternity, thrown in. Turn away from the pursuit of the world's happiness. That's what repenting means. Turning from chasing what the world offers to us and finding real life and joy and happiness in Christ instead. So can I ask you, have you found true happiness yet? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Have you found true happiness yet? And if, when you ask yourself that question, and you kind of think, well, why am I not more happy? Could it be that you've not yet come to Christ, or you've perhaps half-heartedly come to Christ, but you're still trying to find happiness in the stuff out there in the world? And if that's you... I'd really urge you, keep searching, not for happiness, but for Jesus. And the rest gets thrown in. Come to me, Jesus says, believe in me. Feed on me every day and you will have eternal life. Do invite you to join us for that Discover course I mentioned earlier, where we'll look at this Jesus in the Gospels and see how he can give us all eternal life and happiness. Uh, Come to the student group if you're a student where we did the same thing. Or just pick up a gospel. We've got some there at the back that you could take for free tonight and find Jesus for yourself. So, if you're here tonight and you're someone that already loves the Lord and you want to know that richness in your life more and more fully, well, let's live this week, this year, eternity, in the life Christ gives. Let's live in true happiness. The happiness that only comes from knowing the Jesus who remains in us and who one day will raise us. That's true happiness, isn't it? He remains in me today, he raises me then. Knowing that whatever I've done, whoever I am, whatever mistakes I've made, however weak my faith may feel, he holds me. He remains in me. And he will bring me to eternal life. Let's be still, let me lead us in a prayer for a moment now. Lord, we pray that you will help us each to find you, to come to you, to listen to you as you've spoken to us tonight, to receive you in our hearts and so to find eternal life, to remain in you as you remain in us. And may we carry the good news of your life in us, of the happiness, the satisfaction you alone bring to those that around us also are thirsty and hungry without you. In Jesus' name, amen.